Well, this is the last part of a series that did not start out as a series, which is very highly unusual uh, for me. Um, I did not see this one coming at all. It began on the last Sunday morning in January when I preached A Lion in the Streets. And those, the two verses from Proverbs that had captured my attention, they talked about the sluggard or the slothful person in the book of, of Proverbs, the person who is extremely good at making excuses to avoid anything they're just too lazy to do. And uh, those verses, uh, one from 22 and 13, one from 26 and 13, the slothful man say it. There's a lion without, I shall be slain in the streets. And the other verse says, the slothful man saith, saith, there's a lion in the way, a lion is in the streets. And you probably remember bits and pieces of that message. Uh, the sluggard, he says, there's a lion in the streets. It's very dangerous out there. I am so scared. If I go out, I could die. The risk is too great so I'd better just stay home. Sounds like a lot I've been hearing for a couple of years now. You would expect these Proverbs to say, the coward says, there's a lion outside. I shall be slain in the streets. But the thing is that it says sluggard, not coward, because the controlling emotion here is not fear at all. It's laziness. The sluggard is being very creative with his excuses. No reasonable person will approve of him staying at home just because he's lazy, but they might sympathize with him and approve his staying home if there's real danger outside. So to hide his laziness and justify himself, he deflects attention away from the truth by creating an illusion that others will accept. You see, the lion in Proverbs is not real. It's just an excuse that exists in the sluggard's imagination in order to justify his procrastination. And so Solomon's writing, it begs the question, where are the lions in your life? What are the excuses that have held you back in serving God to the fullest? Because we are definitely, most definitely living in the era of excuses. There is definitely danger in our streets. I will not debate you on that, but it's not from lions. It's from spiritual laziness. As I said on January the 30th, I don't believe that the COVID-19 pandemic caused backsliding among Christians. I don't believe that for a second. I do understand that it revealed backsliding among Christians. The spiritual lethargy was there far before the pandemic began, but over the last two years, People have become very creative at using COVID-19 or anything else that's available as an excuse for their very casual Christianity. And sure enough, when the government of New Brunswick lifted all COVID-19 restrictions on gatherings six weeks after my sermon, that was March the 14th, all of those slothful habits that had developed in so many people over the last two years still remained stubbornly in place because the couch is all too comfortable and the webcast is all too convenient and apparently the altar is still all too scary for some people. But there's a lion in the streets. No, just laziness because apathy 
is one of the end time enemies that we face, apathy. Less than four weeks after that first sermon, Russia launched the largest military attack in Europe since World War II when it invaded the neighboring nation of Ukraine on February the 24th. By the time I preached the second message of this three-part series that didn't start out as a series, on March 23rd, one quarter of Ukraine's population had been forced to flee their homes, creating one of the largest refugee crises of the 21st century. And that war continues unabated today as our horrified world gradually becomes aware of the appalling atrocities and the gruesome war crimes that have been committed by Vladimir Putin and his armies. The beautiful buildings of charming cities now lay in piles of rubble and smoldering ruins. Hundreds of bodies of innocent civilians and children have been left decaying in the streets or hurriedly thrown into mass graves. And even if the war stopped tomorrow, it will take decades for Ukraine to rebound and rebuild because that lumbering Russian bear has very sharp claws and very sharp teeth. And that's why three weeks ago I preached on a bear from the north. While I do not believe that this particular battle with Ukraine and Russia is specifically prophesied in Scripture, the Bible does tell us that Russia's aggression will eventually be turned against the Jews and the nation of Israel when a coalition of countries out of the north parts invades Israel. That's very specific because Russia lies directly north of Israel, stretching all the way to the Arctic Circle, and every other nation north of Israel is friendly to Russia, except for Ukraine, which has been invaded by Russia. The prophecy is in Ezekiel 38, Therefore, son of man, prophesy and say unto Gog, Thus saith the Lord God, In that day when my people of Israel dwelleth safely, shalt thou not know it. And thou shalt come from thy place out of the north parts. There it is. Thou and many people with thee, a coalition of, neighbor, uh, of neighboring countries, all of them riding upon horses, a great company and a mighty army. And I said three weeks ago, don't get thrown off by the ancient imagery of warfare on horses because uh, that's what God showed to Ezekiel, something he could comprehend. It will probably be modern warfare, but it will be a great army from a variety of countries. While today's headlines may not refer directly to what the Bible calls the Battle of Gog and Magog, the current conflict is certainly defining political parameters that will eventually bring Ezekiel's prophecy to pass. You can read it in your Bible, Ezekiel 38 and 39. While the Bible does not give us a specific time frame, it appears that this battle will happen either just before the rapture or not long after the rapture in the first half of the tribulation period. That's why any time we see that brutal Russian bear on the move anywhere, prophecy preachers get a little bit agitated. I don't claim to be a prophecy preacher, 
But I'll tell you what, I've been watching what's going on over there with a great deal of awareness and consternation because the end times are upon us and things are moving very, very fast. According to Scripture, there will come a time when Russia, or whatever it's called then, the North Country, in alliance with several other countries, the Bible tells us they will amass a huge army against Israel to come down and plunder the Jews' land. Now, such a massive army pitted against such a tiny nation should result in Israel's absolute annihilation. But God will supernaturally defend his covenant people in that battle. Ezekiel prophesies that it will take seven years to bury the dead and all the world will marvel at such an unexpected, unexplainable victory. God says, thus will I magnify myself and sanctify myself and I will be known in the eyes of many nations and they shall know that I am the Lord." Regardless of what you see in the news media, God is still in charge. God is still on his throne. God knows exactly what he's doing. It's us. We struggle to understand everything that was prophesied in Scripture. But we're living in a generation where we can see how the different prophecies that the elders talked about, a mark for people to buy and sell, and a way for one world leader to talk to every nation simultaneously. That couldn't have happened in their generation, but they had the same understanding that God God is faithful, and if God's word says it, it's going to happen. The technology will have to catch up. The politics will have to catch up. The culture will have to catch up. But if God said it's going to happen in his word, it's going to happen, and you can take it to the bank. And so the, the Russian bear, the bear from the north, will someday move to attack Israel. That's in our future. I don't think that's the current battle unless it grows exponentially uh, later this year. I don't think it's involving Israel, at least not right now. But you make no mistake, the spirit of the bear has been loosed in our day. The bear will attack you viciously and dare you to respond. The bear will lie to your face about its aggressive agenda. The bear will kill your family and your children if it gets a chance. The bear will destroy everything you hold dear. Because the spirit of the bear isn't just in Russia. It's in our school systems. It's in our government. It's in our media. And it's in our culture. Because intimidation is one of the end time enemies that we are facing right now now. But that spirit of intimidation, my concern, is that it has also impacted people who even call themselves Christians as they've given themselves over to the hatred and the division that has swirled all around us over the last two years. You would hardly believe how so-called Christians now talk about churches. You would hardly believe how so-called believers now address pastors. I'm just going to be honest tonight. 
Um, never in my lifetime have I seen so many nasty messages come to our team as I have during the COVID-19 pandemic. Now, thank God they've come from outside of this body of believers, but they have been nasty. We've had people even within our ranks and within other churches. We've had people leave because we wouldn't take a stand for masks. And we've had people leave because we wouldn't take a stand against masks. We've had people boycott services because we wouldn't take a stand for vaccinations. And we've had people boycott services because we wouldn't take a stand against vaccinations. We've had people hate on us because we wouldn't take a stand against public health measures and we've had other people hate on us because we wouldn't take a stand for public health measures. And when you hear them and when you read their little uh, private messages on media, their tone is strident and their words are hateful and their opinions are inflexible and their intent is to intimidate. Because your pastors have kept the preaching of the gospel as our main focus. And because we've refused, categorically refused, to take sides over something so temporal and so trivial. We have been told all kinds of things over the last two years. We have been told that we are part of the, quote, antichrist system. And the, quote, satanic government. We've been called segregationists and cowards. We've been the subject of vicious words that have praised protesters and vilified pastors and criticized our church sometimes within the very same social media post but I stand here on a bible study tonight on a bible study night and I am honored to speak on behalf of our entire team when I say with the apostle Paul but none of these things move me because we recognize this for what it is. Those people that are on the attack, they don't even realize that they're being controlled by a spirit of intimidation, which convinces them that their opinion is non-negotiable and that truth is optional. It is the spirit of the bear. It is the spirit of the age. It is the spirit of intimidation. And that is one of the end time enemies we face. Yes, we are facing spiritual apathy, and yes, we are facing spiritual intimidation. And so we come to tonight. If I haven't offended you yet, let me give it another go. Just before I preached about a bear from the north, I ran across a scripture that I had never noticed before. It's been there all the time, but I never noticed it. I had said to Brandon, uh, our, our wonderful media uh, leader and director, I, I'd said to him, you know, if I can just find one more animal, we can make this our zoo series. And I was totally joking. And then I hit this verse. And this is the verse that turned these three messages into a series. Because as bad as the lion and the bear are, as difficult as it is to deal with apathy and intimidation, there's a final end time enemy that is even more fearful. Here's the verse from the prophet Amos. As if a man did flee from a lion and a bear met him or went into the house and leaned his hand on the wall and a serpent bit him. 
In the middle of a prophecy about looming judgment, Amos declares that people won't even be able to avoid what is coming. They'll flee from the lion only to run into the bear. And just about the time they think they are safely hidden in their house, the snake reaches out and bites them. That, brothers and sisters, that CCC family is the pressure we are feeling in the end times. The onslaught of hell never seems to stop. You think you've shaken yourself loose from spiritual apathy only to run into spiritual intimidation. And just about the time you think you got all that under control and you've conquered those enemies, Satan launches another attack because... Deception is also one of the end time enemies we face. From the very beginning of time, the devil has been known as a snake in the grass. He is cunning and crafty. He is devious and deadly. He is evil personified. In eternity past, his insane envy and pride caused him to lead a rebellion in heaven. And God cast him out. His banishment is permanent and it is irreparable and there are no second chances for Satan because the devil sinned because there, before there was a devil to tempt anyone. One third of the angels fell with him and they became the demons. And over the 6,000 years of human history, they have joined Satan in his efforts to fight God to promote sin, to prevent salvation, and to hurt humanity. But let me pull back the curtain and tell you something you need to know. The devil's worst nightmare is that you would get the second chance that he never got. The devil's worst nightmare is that you would avoid the place called hell that he is destined for. And the devil's worst nightmare is that you would get to live in a place called heaven, that place that he will never be allowed to return to. The best part about heaven is we're going to see Jesus. But there's a second best part. We're not going to see Satan. He's not going to be around. There's no temptation. There's no pain. There's no sickness. There's no addiction. There's no bondage. There's no depression. There's no attacks. There's nothing like that in heaven. We'll get to see Jesus and we won't have to see the devil. That's where we're headed. The devil is not your friend. He does not have your best interests in mind. You can't trust anything he says. You can't believe anything he promises, no matter how good or tempting it looks on the surface. You say, but I've never had the devil talk to me. Oh yes, you have. He is a treacherous foe. His voice is everywhere in the end times and his influence is pervasive in every corner of our culture. Scripture pulls the wool uh, off of him and won't let him hide as this meek little lamb. It shows him for the wolf that he is. Scripture calls him the adversary, the accuser, the tempter, the enemy, the thief, the wicked one, the ruler of this world, the God of this age, and the prince of the power of the air. 
He is first and foremost a deceiver. He can even disguise himself as an angel of light, according to the Apostle Paul, in order to lead people like you and me astray. But make no mistake, he is not an angel of light. There's no light in him. There's no good in him. He is a liar and the father of all lies. And if you don't believe that, take the words of Jesus. He said, you are of your father, the devil, and the lusts of your father will you do. He was a murderer from the beginning and he abode not in the truth. The devil can't take a climate of truth. The devil can't take a climate of revelation because there's no truth in him. When he speaks a lie, he speaks of his own. One paraphrase says, when the devil speaks lies, he's speaking in his native tongue. For he is a liar and he is the father of it. Every hurt that you've ever thought was something good and you got into it and you found out you were bound and you found out you were depressed and you found out you couldn't break the shackles and you found out you couldn't get free and you found out you couldn't get back and it just was awful once you get into it. What you fell uh, into was a lie of the devil. He is a liar. He lies all the time. He couldn't tell the truth. He is the father of every false thing you've ever been tempted with or fallen prey to. It was a lie from this snake in the grass that caused the fall of man in the first place, way back in the Garden of Eden. It was a threefold lie. He questioned God's word, he questioned God's power, and he questioned God's nature. He questioned God's word. Hath God really said that? He questioned God's power. Oh, you won't surely die if you do that. And he questioned God's nature. Oh God, he's pulling the wool over your eyes. He knows that if you do this, uh, you'll be like him. He's trying to prevent you and keep you from something good. He questioned God's word. He questioned God's power. And he questioned God's nature. It was a threefold lie. Satan is still lying today every minute, every second of every day. He's still lying and people unwittingly parrot his words all the time when they say things like, God can't control me, God won't judge me, or God isn't worthy of my worship. They're parroting the original three lies in the Garden of Eden. Here's the passage, Genesis 3, verse 1 through 5. Now the serpent was more subtle than any beast of the field which the Lord God had made. And the serpent said to the woman, Yea, hath God said, You shall not eat of the tree of the garden? Has God really said that? Are you sure that really applies to you? Are you sure that's relevant for you? It's the same lie we hear today. He questioned God's word. Has God really said? And the woman answers back. She has a little confidence, but she quickly loses it. And the woman said unto the serpent, We may eat of the fruit of the trees of the garden, But of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, you shall not eat of it, neither shall you touch it, lest ye die. And the serpent, the snake, he pounces. And the serpent said unto the woman, you shall not surely die. You won't die. 
God doesn't have the power to do that. He's not real. He's not that big. It's just a figment of people's imagination. The lie is still being told today. God doesn't have that kind of power. God can't control me. I can do what I want. God doesn't have that kind of power. There are no penalties for sin. And then the serpent says to the woman, for God knows, he's questioning God's very nature, God knows that in the day you eat thereof, your eyes will be opened, you shall be as gods, and you will be able to know good and evil for yourself. It's the same lie 6,000 years later. You can decide what's good, and you can decide what's evil. Good's relative anyway. Your good may not be my good, and your evil may not be my evil, and what you call sin, I might not consider that sin. And it's the same lie being told and parroted by people, unwitting, unsuspecting, Suspecting people 6,000 years later, questioning God's very nature. You can do what you want because you're human. You have unlimited potential. You have a brilliant mind. You are sophisticated. So you can twist this and you can blend that and you can fix that and you can correct that. And you don't need to be bound by old ideas and old mentality. And you definitely don't need to be bound by that book called the Bible. It's the same lie that's been told for 6,000 years and people have dropped off the edge of life into an eternity in hell over and over millions and millions because of that lie. You'll be as gods. You can pick your own destiny. You will get to determine good and evil. Brothers and sisters, deception is the most dangerous end time enemy that we face because Satan has convinced so many people he doesn't take days off. He doesn't go on vacation. He doesn't sit back. He doesn't take a weekend. Satan has convinced so many people today. You know some of them. You could name their names. Their faces come before you. Satan has convinced people that truth is disposable. And scripture is debatable. And sin is excusable. And salvation, well, that's negotiable. Holiness is objectionable. Worldliness is preferable. Carnality is tolerable. Rebellion, oh, that's justifiable. Immorality, that's really quite desirable. God's commandments, they're changeable. Your human reasoning, that's reliable. And your casual Christianity, that's acceptable. It's all lies. It's all deception. I preached on it way back in the middle of the pandemic. The prophet Daniel told us that the spirit of Antichrist would seek to wear out the saints of the Most High, Daniel 7 and 25. John tells us that the spirit of Antichrist is already at work in the world, 1 John 4 and 3. And Paul tells us that the church, the apostolic, truth-believing, new-birth-experiencing church is the only thing on this planet that right now is restraining the spirit of Antichrist. At the second the rapture happens and the church is removed with all that godly influence, all hell will break loose on this planet. You do not want to be here when that happens. 
So no wonder as the church, you feel, you sense such vicious, crushing, cruel opposition toward you in the culture all around you. No wondering, no wonder they're questioning your morality. No wonder they're questioning the word of God that you believe. No wonder they're attacking all kinds of things. You never thought you'd live long enough in Canada to see culture flip upside down and good be called evil and evil be called good. But here we are. And no wonder you feel the opposition because you church. You, Christian, you, apostolic believer, you are the focus of the devil's evil agenda in the last of the last days. Because if he breaks you down, if he knocks you down, if he wears you down, there is no line of defense. If all the prayers stop praying and all the worshipers stop worshiping and all the faithful people stop being faithful that you have we have no line of defense left in this world so no wonder you feel the pressure of the last days paul wrote it very succinctly for the mystery of iniquity doth already work it's happening now. It's already going on. It's Whether it's undercover or whether it's now public, it has been an agenda working over and over for years. He's getting the mystery of iniquity together. It is in direct opposition to what the Bible calls the mystery of godliness is the mystery of iniquity. They're opposite. They attack each other. They are mortal enemies. And then Paul says, only he who now letteth will let until he be taken out of the way. Don't let the King James English fool you or confuse you. The word letteth means prevents or hinders or delays or restrains. What Paul said just there is that that mystery of iniquity would have already engulfed our planet. There would be no light. There would be no hope. There would be no truth. That mystery of iniquity would have already engulfed planet Earth and everyone on it except the church is still here and the church is that force that prevents and hinders and delays and restrains the Antichrist getting his agenda together. But it's only going to happen until that moment when the church is taken out of the world. You do not want to be here after that moment. If there ever was anything you need to give up or lay down or leave behind or forsake, you need to do it now because Jesus is coming. The world is shaken. Things are upside down and the Bible is still true. And thank God for tonight, at least right now in this second, in this moment, the church is still here so there's still prayer. The church is still here so there's still faith. The church church is still here so there's still hope. The church is still here so there's still deliverance. The church is still here so the message of salvation is still being preached and tonight you can be saved and tonight you can be delivered and tonight you can be set free and tonight God can fill you with his spirit and tonight we're ready to baptize you in the only saving name of Jesus and tonight you can say God forgive me for my foolishness 
foolishness and my waywardness and my rebellion and my sin because at least right now it may not be true by the end of this sermon we could all be gone every believer in a moment in the twinkling of an eye but at least right this moment it's still true that you can lift up your hands and ask God to forgive you you can lift up your hands and let him fill you you can lift up your hands you can pray a prayer and the God for whom nothing is impossible can set you free at least it's still true right now. You know why all of that is still true? Because the church is still here. You want to thank God every second you're breathing for the church of the Lord Jesus Christ that is alive in this earth. The apostolic, Bible-believing, godly-living church. You want to thank God for that church every day you live. There's only one time in the book of Acts that a demonic spirit other then the devil is given a name. There's only one time in the book of Acts that a demonic spirit other than Satan is given a name. It happened when Paul and his companions were in Philippi. We read through it because we don't read Greek and we don't know much about the culture or the history or the geography and the everything of that day. We, we, we miss it. Acts chapter 16 and verse 16. And it came to pass, as we went to prayer, a certain damsel possessed with a spirit of divination met us, which brought her masters much gain by soothsaying. The same followed Paul and us, Luke writes, and she cried, saying, out loud, following them around the streets of the city, these, are, these men are the servants of the Most High God, which show unto us the way of salvation. Now that sounds good. It seemed right. Seems to be an accurate statement, but see, Paul could discern the spirit behind it, the motive behind it. It wasn't to draw attention to the message of salvation or the preachers of the gospel. It was to draw attention to her and her craft of soothsaying and sorcery. And she did that many days. I love the Apostle Paul because he can be brutal. And I love him for that. I tell people far and wide at CCC, we have a nice pastor and we have a mean pastor. Tell them everywhere, if you want a hug, his office is right over there. If you want to be told the truth, come on in. That's why I love Paul. That's why I love Paul. Oh my. So after many days of putting up with that, Paul, being grieved, uh, in the Greek that says, and being ticked off, he turned and said, not to her, she's the innocent victim. She can't help that she's bound by sin. She can't help that a spirit controls her. And before you start hating on every kind of group that opposes truth and righteousness and godliness in our culture, and before you start making stupid posts on Facebook about which politician's wrong and which one's right, you better be careful because this kingdom is not of this world. Paul wasn't mad at her. He was mad at the spirit that controlled her. And so he says to the spirit, he wheeled around and pointed his finger and said, I command thee in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And he came out the same hour. The word divination in verse 16, right at the top, 
is the Greek word python. It is a snake spirit that was behind the false religion in the temple of Apollo where the high priestess was known across that world, the Roman world, as the oracle of Delphi and called Pythia. Pythons are different than most snakes. I know a lot of you have really enjoyed the massive, bigger-than-life snake picture on the screen tonight. And for that, I apologize, but I want you to remember this. Pythons are different than most snakes. They don't have venom. They kill their prey by squeezing them, cutting off airflow to the lungs and blood flow to the brain. They literally suffocate their prey through powerful pressure. This is the only time in the book of Acts that a spirit other than Satan, an evil spirit, is given a name. And the name is Python. The young woman that followed Paul around, she sounded right, but the spirit behind her words was wrong. She said the right things, but she was bound by the snake. And that evil spirit was trying to harass Paul and his friends and put pressure on them. That is the spirit of the end times. The serpent wants to squeeze the church until they have no strength left to push back. And the devil will attack until someone fights him back. He will not stop. He will not let up. He will not give you a break. He will attack you mercilessly and viciously and unfairly until somebody like Paul said, it's been too long. It's been too many days, too many weeks, too many months until someone wheels around and points a finger at the enemy and says, no more. I'm not taking that anymore. I'm not putting up with that anymore. Get out of my head. Get out of my home. Get out of my family. Get out of my life. Get out of here. And when somebody fights back, the devil's a coward. So my question to Christians, all of you, in the last of the last days, is have you kind of lost your will to fight? Have you kind of dried up in your desire to pray, to witness, to worship, to be faithful? I love the way this church worships. I'm in a lot of churches in the run of an average year. Um, I love the way this church worships. There's something powerful and deep and beautiful about it. And I love coming home, and I thank God that Pastor let me teach you today. And I am on vacation this week because I'm preaching once a week instead of once every day. It's wonderful. I feel I've got a new lease on life. It's wonderful. So look out. I could go another hour and not even notice yeah, you think you're playing, but you might tempt me. I love the way we worship. I love the way this church prays. And we're not changing it. God helping us, heaven helping us, the great faithful people of God helping us, pastors preaching this, we're not going to change it. 
Because we've got an enemy. Think, 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 think. Shake yourself. He is in every corner of culture. He is in the media. He is in the school systems. He's all pervasive all through the governments and, and leaders and, and, and all kinds of stuff. You think he's going to budge because you come here and say, hey, thank you, Jesus. He's too fierce a foe for that. But the devil's a coward, and if you push back, he will flee. The Bible says that. James said, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. I resist you, Satan. Now, every once in a while, you've got to just steal your backbone and lock your feet and push in the spirit. CCC is probably, uh, somebody will take offense, uh, monitor the Facebook comments right now. You may need to start deleting. CCC is probably one of the last bastions of apostolic push in the spirit in this whole area. So many churches have just kind of lapsed into this lackadaisical, lazy, casual, sleepy little kind of form of church. I refuse that in Jesus' name. Nobody's going to get delivered if we're just kind of asleep at the wheel. Nobody got in here got delivered in a church like that or in a service like that. There's not enough power in that to wake most church members out of a daydream. This is an apostolic church. And every once in a while, you just have to help us push. So when pastor says, let's pray, I'm all over that. When pastor says, let's worship, you don't have to ask me twice. When pastor says, oh, here's one that'll hurt you. When pastor says, let's come to the altar, I'm already on my way. Told you. I just come home once in a while to meddle. Do you feel fatigued? or overwhelmed, or weak, or hopeless, or isolated, even backslidden, that's a sure sign that that spirit of the snake has got a hold of you, and he's squeezing the spiritual life out of you. And if you're not careful, you'll end up at a place where you can't breathe spiritually. You'll end up at a place where the blood is no longer flowing to cleanse your life all because the serpent is squeezing off the airflow of the Spirit and the blood flow of Calvary in your life. When I consider the apathy and the intimidation and the deception that have been attacking the lives of many Christians over the last two years and I've watched them fall out like flies, just they're gone. And the words of the prophet Jeremiah just start ringing in my ears. It came back to me so forcefully over the last couple of weeks. Jeremiah said, if you have run with the footmen and they've wearied you, then how can you contend with horses when they call out the cavalry? And if in the land of peace wherein you trusted and you had a nice little life and it was all nice and kind and peaceful and gentle and easy, if in that kind of land they wearied you, how will you do in the swelling of the Jordan? How will you do 
when the Jordan River overflows and everything's wrecked and ruined and there's tragedy everywhere, how will you do then if you couldn't even hold on to your faith when everything was fairly easy? That scripture haunts me when I think about a lot of Christians that I've observed over the last couple of years. Imagine a little pandemic caused some people to check out of their light living with God. Check out of church. Check out of faithfulness. Check out of prayer. A little viral pandemic. If that happened, and it did, what in the world do you think will happen when the real opposition gets here and the real persecution arrives in Canada? We all get all Facebooky on our wonderful friends in Ukraine. We post little heart emojis and little praying hand emojis and we post little tear emojis and none of that matters a whit unless you actually pray and you actually love and you actually go to war for them. Their world turned upside down. Their world went topsy-turvy. They had to run for their lives. They had to leave behind homes and church buildings. They had to leave behind every semblance of comfort and normalcy. And yet they're still serving God. You know why? I've been there in Kiev. I've been there and watched them pray and watched them worship. They're pretty intense about living for God. Let's not get so comfortable in our Canadian version of casual Christianity because Canada is not staying this long for this this way for very long if the Lord tarries. You can already feel the cultural perversion and twisting and morphing into something that's sinister against godliness and sinister against righteousness and sinister against Christianity. We've had a couple of really bad bills passed in our national parliament over the last few months and most Christians just gave it a yawn and went on posting about mask mandates or something else that was equally trivial. But the country that we've lived in and the country that we love, it is changing all around us. So if you ever decided that you're going to live for God, right now would be a really good time to do that. If you ever decided that you're going to become a person of prayer or a person of faithfulness right now would be a really good time to do that because it's not going to be easy forever it's not going to be comfortable forever if the prophecy is true about Russia and it is if the prophecy is true about the rapture and it is then the prophecy about and perilous times shall come that's written in the word of God and that's going to happen and just because we've never had it here Pastor Raymond doesn't mean anything It could turn on a dime. It could turn overnight. They didn't think it would in Ukraine. They thought they had NATO kind of friends with them. They thought they had all kinds of allies. They thought Russia would never dare. But Russia did dare. And Satan dares. The snake dares. So you've got to figure out a way that you are going to survive spiritually in this world. If a little pandemic could wreak the havoc in the lives of Christians that it did, what do you think is going to happen when the real persecution arrives and when the real opposition arrives? I'll just tell you. It's not going to get better or nicer or easier in the end times. 
So what do we do? Well, here's what you don't do. Don't just lay down and die. Don't just sit back and relax. Don't just stand there and let the devil gain an easy victory. And for heaven's sake, don't slide into spiritual oblivion by letting the snake squeeze the very life out of you because you have a right to fight and war in the spirit. That's your birthright. Jesus said, Behold, I give unto you power to tread on serpents and scorpions and over all the power of the enemy and nothing shall by any means hurt you. So don't let the devil push you around when you have the power to push him back. Don't let the devil trample your life when you can tread on his head. Don't let him win the battle when the weapons of your warfare are not carnal but they are mighty through God to the pulling down of strongholds. Don't let him wear you down with trials and temptations when you can do all things through Christ which strengthens you. And don't let him trap you in sin and temptation. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. He's a coward if you stand up to him. He's a coward if you fight back and push back. And furthermore, if God be for us, who can be against us? I've got one more scripture. I'm not the least bit concerned about the quiet. Moments after man sinned in the Garden of Eden. Moments after. God announced that the serpent would one day have its head bruised in a fight with the Messiah, the seed of the woman. Calvary was the first time the devil got his head crushed. But it won't be the last time. Because here's the word of God for the church age, for the apostolics, for the Bible believers as we face the end times. Paul closes off his letter to the Romans with these words. And the God of peace shall bruise Satan, not under Jesus' feet, that's 2,000 years ago. He shall bruise Satan under your feet shortly. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you. We're going to need God's grace and God's power. We're going to need God's sustenance and his strength if we're going to face what's coming on this world. We stay far too quiet as preachers sometimes because the pressure's out there too. The serpent wants to get a hold of us and squeeze and say, nobody believes that anymore. Even some of your church people don't believe that anymore. You embarrass your church people when you talk about that prophecy stuff. You embarrass your church people when you push them to worship and pray and be demonstrative. You embarrass them. I care not one whit about the voice of the serpent that would like to squeeze everybody until we're a caricature of Christianity and we're just a bunch of apostolic atheists that say we believe God but we don't live like we believe God. I choose to believe God. I choose to serve God. I choose to love God. I choose to be faithful. And I am done. I wish you'd lift up your hands.
And you know what comes next because your hands aren't the center of spiritual warfare in your life. You can lift them all day, but if you don't use your voice, not one thing happens. But death and life are in the power of the tongue. So lift up your voice like a trumpet in the sanctuary and pray. I will pray with the Spirit. I will pray with the understanding also. Pray without ceasing. First of all, prayer. You're going to need to pray if you're going to survive the end times. You're going to need to be an intercessor if you're going to get through some of the stuff that's coming on this earth. But the good news is greater is he that is in you than he that's in the world. That's why you got to get that serpent out of your life. you got to get that snake away from you. You do not want him to squeeze out the free flow of the Spirit of God. You do not want him to squeeze out the activity of the cleansing, delivering blood of Jesus in your life. You've got to push him back. It's important that this is a praying church. It's important that when pastor says worship, we're already on our way up before he finishes the word. It's important that we get in altars. It's important that we pray for each other. It's important that we worship with abandon and sing with energy and praise God. Let everything that has breath lift up that breath. Don't let the serpent choke out your breath. Don't let the serpent choke out your life. Don't let the serpent choke out your worship. And because you're praying and because you're worshiping, deliverance is in this room right now. Because wherever Jesus is, there is deliverance. Healing is in this room right now because wherever Jesus is, there is healing. Let's stand together, everybody. Let your hands keep on going. And then once you get your hands up wherever they are, let your voice keep on going beyond that. Lift up a prayer. Lift up a praise. Lift up an intercession. I don't care what anybody else does. I'm going to survive the end times. But I'm not just going to survive them. I'm going to thrive in the middle of them. There's no sin. There's no relationship. There's no temptation. There's no possession. There's no position. There's no career. There's no job opportunity. There's nothing in this world. Take this whole world, but give me Jesus. I will not turn back. I will not turn aside. It's straight ahead from here. It's straight on till rapture. It's straight on till heaven. I refuse to be paralyzed by the serpent. I refuse to be paralyzed by the enemy of my soul. I'd like you to join me right now. I'd like you to pray against the spirit of apathy that has infected and invaded so many churches. The majority of Christian churches. I'd like you to pray against that spirit of apathy and push it back. Apathy is that spirit of cynicism, skepticism. I don't care. I just don't want to be participating. I don't want to bother. Pray against that spirit of apathy. You won't be able to pray it off of everybody, but you can pray it off this church. This is your church. You can pray it off our congregation. This is your church family. So push back that spirit of apathy. God, we're in it wholehearted. We're in it with all of our might. We're in it with all of our will and all of our strength.
I refuse to be unconcerned and uninvolved and uninterested when a Savior shed his blood for me. I refuse to be apathetic and lazy and cowardly when a Savior gave his all for me. I push that spirit back. And we really need this next one. I'm going to ask everybody in here that names the name of Jesus to join me. We need to pray against that spirit of intimidation that tries to make you sit down, sit back, shut up, be quiet, don't move, stay away. You need to pray against that spirit. You're not going to get it prayed off everybody. Some people are just that dumb. But you can get it prayed off this church because this is your church. And you can get it prayed off this congregation because this is your church family. I I push back against the enemy of intimidation. I refuse to be quiet when I'm talking about Jesus. I refuse to sit down when we're worshiping Jesus. I refuse to sit back when he gave his all for me. I refuse to be a meek, namby-pamby, weakling Christian when God has called me to be mighty in the spirit. I refuse it. I refuse it. I refuse it. Push that one a little bit. We're early tonight. We got time for this. I refuse intimidation. All we've heard is fear and paranoia and panic and intimidation for two years. It's about time we decided we're going to be fully, truly, absolutely apostolic. They remove the restrictions and people are still acting like they're still on. They remove the restrictions and people are still paralyzed by fear and paranoia. Not an apostolic believer. I refuse. You do what you want. Keep yourself safe and healthy. We're not against that. But I refuse to sit like a pew potato when the Spirit of the Lord is moving in our midst. I need this. You need this. We need this. I rebuke the spirit of fear. Perfect love casteth out all fear. Fear has torment. I refuse to be tormented by the spirit of intimidation. I refuse it. I refuse it. I don't have to do that. I don't have to yield to that. And one more thing. The spirit of deception that's got people convinced that Oh, that the coming of the Lord, that's not really going to happen in our lifetime. And that's not really going to happen. Prophecy, that's not really all true. The Bible, I'm not sure every part of that's accurate. And even if it is, I'm not sure it's relevant to us today. See, that's that spirit of deception that's loose in the end times. That's why you need to lock into your church and your pastor more than you ever have before in your whole life. You've got to avoid the spirit of deception because it's that python spirit. It's that serpent spirit. It's that snake in the grass spirit. It wants to get a hold of you and squeeze the life out of you. So would you open up your lungs right now? And I mean physically. Would you take a deep breath and let out your praise right now? Use the lungs God put in you to breathe in not just oxygen, but breathe in the Holy Ghost. Breathe in His Spirit. Take a deep 
breath of Holy Ghost and then just worship. Take a deep breath of Holy Ghost and then just pray. Take a deep breath of Holy Ghost and then you'll have the power to push him back. Don't let the devil squeeze the life out of you and make you feel worthless and depressed and backslidden. You have a right to fight. You're bigger than that. You're better than that. You're stronger than that. You're more powerful than that. Push him back. Yes, 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 yes. So Mendo lo roba baba boko shesa re baba kosa. Mendo lo no roba baba boko shesa.